What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. Today is a special show because this is our NBA Premier Week special. So the NBA games uh, tipped off earlier this week. There's been a lot of storylines that we're going to have to break down for you guys. We'll give you guys some predictions for the entire season as well. So it's one of my favorite shows of the year. Should be a fun one to listen to. So hope you guys enjoy it. Joining me is my co-host, beginning with Kendall Stewart. Now, Kendall, uh, a lot of stuff's been happening this week, and I know you are obviously being a huge NBA fan. This is one of the biggest weeks of the season for you. So how do you feel about uh, about coming in to do this show? Oh, it's very exciting because, uh, like you talked about, obviously the start of the NBA season um, is upon us. See, And this feels particularly exciting given – the amount of hype that we that the NBA kind of has generated this offseason by all the moves and all the movement and the parity that's been created by all the movement that we've seen this offseason. Um, so being able to see all these rosters in action, pretty much all the rosters in action this week for the first time is um, it's very exciting. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, it was. I tell you what, I, th- I felt like Wednesday night, uh, even two, even Tuesday night. I mean, after even though the Raptors game. And Pelican game didn't quite garner a lot of attention because of Zion Williamson not being out and the Raptors being a lot different now that Kawhi is no longer in the fold. Even that was a, a really exciting game, went into overtime. Yeah, still all that game. Yeah, and then obviously, the, I mean, the Battle of LA, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute, was just, I mean, it felt like a, a primetime fight. And to see that kind of atmosphere, that kind of excitement into a, you know, game one of 82 was... Uh, was was great and Wednesday was just crazy. So we'll get to all that yeah. stuff. The game's happening as we speak. Uh, Giannis is debuting. Uh, James Harden and Westbrook are debuting. So we're in for a fun NBA season, man. I'm excited. So let's start off with the fact that once again the NBA season is underway, and there are plenty of major storylines that have already unfolded. The Clippers took game, uh, round one against the Lakers in their star-studded battle for Los Angeles. Kyrie Irving went for 50 in his Brooklyn Nets debut that still resulted in an overtime loss. And an impressive debut for uh, several rookies, including R.J. Barrett, who became the second youngest player to score 20 points or more in a debut. P.J. Washington from the Hornets netted seven three-point shots in a win over the Bulls. And unlikely starting backcourt for the Heat, Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero combined for 38 points to lead the Jimmy Butler's uh, less Miami Heat against uh, John Morant and the Grizzlies. So, Kendall, a lot happened. A lot is happening as we speak. What has been your biggest takeaway so, so far from the first few nights of the NBA season? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously been plenty of takeaways. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really, really, I you know, you really want to caution people on taking away really too. You don't really want to take away that much from the first game of the season. Um, yes. You know, the game I watched, obviously, the closest was the the Celtics and uh, Sixers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, from that, the Sixers looked like a very, very, very big team, which, I mean, I could have told you that they haven't gotten any bigger from the last time I looked at their roster. But watching them play uh, on the floor and watching them against a team that obviously I'm a Celtics fan, so I was rooting for the Celtics and watching their size uh, and watching the Celtics team trying to combat their size, is, it, it's impressive because, you know, the Celtics aren't the biggest team in the league. You know, we, we play undersized, we play a smaller point guard in Kemba, 
backup point guards a little smaller than Carson Carson Edwards, and then you know we played Jalen Brown at the power forward. He's about six seven, so um, you know Brown, Hayward, Tatum, whoever we're going to consider the power forward. Uh, and then Ennis Cantor is I mean he's a bigger guy, but he's not exactly a, a physically imposing uh, type of player to begin with. So maybe we're not the best measure for the Sixers team, but a team that has a six ten point guard. Ben Simmons, but then you also throw Josh Richardson's long, athletic, great defender. Coming off the bench, you have Matisse Thybul, who's mm. an, also an incredible defender. That he's come, he's come in game one and just immediately made an impact as an as a as a splash impact defensive player. Yeah, he's. I mean, I would have never guessed. You know, we've seen a lot of guys come from a two three zone in college and they not be nearly as effective as they used as they were. In college, you know, mm-hmm. Wesley Johnson is the name that comes to mind, but he, as I mean, he really, really bottled up Kemba. He, I mean, he was the best defender on the floor by far. And that's talking about, like, Marcus Smart was on, was on the floor. Yeah. I've never, I don't know if I've ever watched a Celtics game and felt like Smart wasn't the best defensive player on the floor. So, yeah, I mean, the Sixers looked impressive. They still couldn't shoot, which is a concern. And Ben Simmons really looks like he's taking a leap. So, um, I mean, that was if we're talking one big takeaway. My biggest takeaway was, you know, uh, from that game. And also, real quick, the Celtics. I wouldn't be too concerned because I think the Sixers are a bad matchup, which is, is worrisome because the Sixers have always been a very good matchup for the Celtics. But um, you know, not having that size it was concerning. They missed like thirteen or fourteen free throws, something like that. And but Gordon Hayward looked great, so you have to be excited about that if you're a Celtics fan. Jason Tatum definitely focused way too much on the uh, three point shot and getting to the rim. You know, he completely abandoned the mid range shot, and which we we knew was going to happen. Yeah, he yeah <laughs> he said he was going to do it. Yeah, and you know it didn't look as good as you know it sounded because um, you have to have some semblance of a mid range shot to kind of one to to their higher percentage shots than chucking up threes, but also just to keep the defense honest on your drives. So, um, but all these things will come with time. This is one game, so not concerned. Um, I think for me, the biggest story that I, I took away from the first few days was uh, Kyrie Irving and the Nets. And uh, I don't, you know, I mean, they lost, so that's one thing. And that's part of the story to me. But, I mean, that was a one-man show that was just spectacular. I mean, 50 points, uh, overtime, you know, the move. I mean, I, 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 someone put it, I don't know who, t- I forgot who tweeted it, but I think I've seen, I think it was Chris Herring, so shout out to him. He said, uh, and I totally agree, I've seen Kyrie Irving's missed game winner get played more on social media and on television than some other game winners that I've watched over the years. But that, it, 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 and to be honest, so that's something I normally would maybe lament, but I couldn't because of just how spectacular that show was. I mean, I'm watching the Knicks opening night, which to me, that's appointment television. Usually I'm not turning or taking my eye off that ball for any second. But I had no choice but to turn on and see what Kyrie was doing. And I mean, some of the moves he was pulling off, the step backs, the ball yeah. handling. I mean, this was Kyrie Irving at his that absolute was one of the best. best. Games he's ever had. Well, for sure. I mean, 7 for 30, 33, he shot 50% from 3, 7 for 14, 9 for 10 from the free throw line. He had 7 assists and no turnovers. Um, that's about as good a game a point guard could play. 
I say a scoring type of point guard to have seven assists and no turnovers and eight rebounds. Is that proof that he was dogging it at the, at the end of in the playoffs? I don't. I don't think he was dogging it. I think what I think what's happened is Kyrie to me is in such a better place mentally and is so laser focused that he was able to put forth a performance like that. Like he's always he was capable of doing that last year, but I don't. I think that. He just completely wasn't in the right mind frame to, to ever put together a game like that. Because, um, I mean, people have made the case, oh, he was playing against a bad team. I mean, he the way he was moving and stuff, he could have put that 50 points against anybody with the way he was playing. But I, it's a, not to stress any negative about it other than the fact that they lost. But I, I do wonder how this, sto- how this story will continue to unfold. Because watching that game, it was clear to me that this team, at least in game one, in night one, really seemed to rally around this incredible Kyrie performance and really seemed to kind of goad him on to continue to keep shooting, to continue to kind of play to the crowd and try to win the game also. It wasn't as if, like, this was a blowout game. He was padding stats. I mean, they also needed him to score. But this is a Nets team that Kyrie and Kevin Durant have been saying they went to instead of the Knicks because this team had other talent and that they were further along in their development and that this was a team they thought that was well-rounded that could make noise. That was no different than what you would have done on the Knicks. Yeah, that, that that to me, what I saw last night, he could have done that on any team. And now, Karis LeVert had 20 points. He took 20 shots. It was an overtime game. But, yeah. Uh, and, and Spencer Spencer Dinwiddie had, you know, 14. But I don't – and they played a, a really frantic, up-tempo kind of game. I just wonder if those guys, you know, they're happy about seeing him play that way week one. But will they – or game one. But will they be happy to see him playing that way game 53, game 57? Game 68, game one of the first round, game two of the second round, they make it. Like, that I think is going to be an interesting, you know, story to follow because it was a one-man wrecking crew. He was spectacular. He should have taken every shot he probably took. I I didn't take any bad shots. But that's Kyrie Irving, and it didn't go over well in Boston with him playing like that. So are these guys less willing or more willing to kind of give up the sugar? For the sake of Kyrie Irving, a lot of the big-time players like LeVert and Dinwiddie got their money already, so maybe they're not as concerned. But I, I just think that's interesting. This guy going out there and scored 50 points in the first game. The team was absolutely rallied around him in a way that the Boston guys, to me, never seemed to, even when he had big games. Will this continue? And what happens when Kevin Durant comes into the fold? Because Kevin Durant going to be okay with Kyrie just launching shots the way he was last night? Will Kyrie change his game? Because Kyrie hasn't changed his game for anyone, including LeBron James. I mean, the Nets didn't look like a playoff team last night. No. One game, you know, you throw in a guy in Kyrie, it's gonna, things are going to look a little off. But the fact that they – I mean, they probably should have won that game. But the fact that they needed Kyrie to, get, to score 50 to have a chance to win that game is against a Minnesota team that – I mean, look, Carolina Towns was incredible last night. But – that was it. I mean, Carlton Towns had almost an equally yeah, yeah. performance. Carlton Towns made seven threes, and some yeah. of them were step backs. I mean, he was he was big time as well. So uh, we'll get to Andrew out. Wiggins though, who was minus twenty six for the game. <laughs> but 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 he was minus twenty six. He was minus twenty six. He shot ten for twenty seven from the field. Wiggins. Yeah. Oh yeah, Wiggins was terrible. He was awful. I did. Town. Yeah, Wiggins, he played great in overtime. Credit to him. That's true. And in the fourth quarter. But throughout the game, I mean, the guy is just, uh, he's just a, a he low, lost. 
he's just, I don't want to say a low IQ player, but just the, 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 the shots that he takes sometimes are just really, really bizarre. Yeah, he's, but, um, yeah, he's lost as a player. But no, the Nets didn't look like a playoff team, but it's the first game. And, you know, those those things will come in terms of chemistry and getting guys the right shots and other guys emerging. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned, but um, you do have to feel good about, like, all right, Kyrie is, like, he's not shot. You know, the last time we saw Kyrie on a basketball court, he looked shot. He looked terrible. But that was, again, like you said, all a mental fault, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that that to me is very clear. He's still, as I've always called him, a, a offensive nuclear weapon. At that point guard position, there are, besides Steph Curry, to me, there's no other point guard who's that explosive, who could just completely just obliterate everything you're trying to do defensively because you can't stop him from putting the ball in the hole. Uh, there's Curry, and then there's Kyrie Irving. To me, I put him in that. That's how, that's the high regard I have, Kyrie, and I've always have, and I still, even despite what happened last year, he was great last yeah, night. The, the, the rapper, the rapper out in Portland, that's, that's a little upset by your assertion. Lillo's a great player, but I don't put him in that same class. I don't put him in that same class of regardless of what the other team is doing. I they can't stop this guy. They can't get the ball out of his hands. They can't do anything. Lillard is a great player. I think that over 82 games, he's usually better than Kyrie Irving. I'm just saying, for one game, one night, what that one guy can do to a team, I think the only person that he could even rival what Steph's capable of, to me, is Kyrie Irving. What do you think of the Lakers-Clippers? So, there was a lot of, you know... Angry Laker fans after that game, which I thought was kind of funny because it's game one. But I get it. I mean, it's a, na- a lot of the anger. It's funny. I, I have a kid that sits next to me in one in my. Uh, I, I have a sports sales class, and he is a uh, Lakers fan. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he says when he, he sits next to me is, uh, uh, "Bleep, uh, KCP." Kendall KCP was getting <laughs> roasted said. on social media. <laughs> KCP was getting roasted on Lakers Twitter roasted to the point where it was reaching my radar in a way that I didn't expect. I didn't know I had that many Laker fans somehow in my lexicon. He was getting just mauled online by Laker fans. And it's hard not to blame him. I mean, KCP was just horrendous. And he's empty minutes for the Lakers when he plays. So it's like, man, like, you still look bad. Like, now you're, like, ruining it for everybody. Yeah, because they don't think he's good. And then and he's somehow like, that he's been bad the last two years. Yeah, dealt with it. but, but he, now it's that that performance. Well, now they think they really, really should be winning games. And that performance he had was so just abysmal. I mean, zero points in twenty seven minutes. And you play twenty seven minutes in a basketball game. He was shooting air balls. I mean, I don't want to make this a KCP moment. Uh, you know, you know, a KCP reel on this show, but I mean. He didn't give them anything. And that's kind of the issue with the Laker team is there are going to be some guys on that team who are going to have to get a lot of minutes who I just don't know if they're, they should be anywhere near a, a, a team that's trying to win a championship. I don't know if KCP, I don't know if uh, if Dwight Howard at this point in his career, I don't, I don't know if any of these guys should be anywhere near a team that's trying to win a championship. So... It's one game. I'm not going to freak out about the roster, per se. But Danny Green was outstanding. He's definitely a player that, you know, as we've seen in the past, is a championship caliber player. He showed it. He was a, just a sniper in that loss. 
I just I just wonder if there's a there's got to be a, to me another move for the Lakers. I think they're really gonna seriously contend for a title because I don't see Rajon Rondo coming in and making this thing a whole lot better. Um, we know not only is he obviously a poor shooter, but his defense has has really really slipped. And when they start to play really good guards, I think that he's gonna get a little he's gonna get exposed. So I, I saw a Laker team that's good, a team that's gonna beat up a lot of people because. LeBron and AD are going to be able to just dominate certain teams. They couldn't dominate the Clippers because the Clippers are such a good defensive team. And they're so tough and so gritty that they weren't able to bully their way through this kind of game. But they're going to bully their way through other people like they did during preseason. Um, I saw, you know, Charles Barkley got a lot of attention for saying that Kawhi Leonard was uh, had surpassed LeBron James as the best player in the world, particularly after that game. said that he's never seen... Up until that game last uh, two nights ago, that he's never seen LeBron look so clearly like the third best player on the floor. <laughs> I was gonna, you know, it's so funny you say that, Kendall, because I'm watching this game. I didn't think about the Kawhi situation. I just was watching the Lakers. <sighs> LeBron people would think I'm really hating, but I swear I'm not hating. It was a pure watching the game eye test. AD looks like the best player on the Lakers in that game. Neither of them played that great. But to me, who was the guy that, as the Lakers were running their offense and when they were playing well, who I thought was most dangerous and was more of a challenge for the Clippers to handle? It was Anthony Davis. Now, I don't want to... I pause in making the case that he actually is their best player because I can't can't take LeBron game one in November and say he's going to be that way in April, May. Right, we say that every year. There's 0% chance he's going to look the way he did on Tuesday. But it, it, it was striking to me that, to me, at least on one night, it wasn't even close. So that tells me either, A, the Lakers have a, could be really, really good. Because even on LeBron's C night, I still think that no matter what team he's on, he's on the best team. He's the best player. That was not the case last that, on Tuesday. So that's a great sign because AD didn't even play that great. And I still thought he was the best player on the floor for the Lakers. So if he's actually that close to LeBron as a rival, as a tandem um, which we, we know he's capable of being, that that's going to be a problem for a lot of other teams. It does, though, kind of raise your eyebrow saying, well, this is the first time you've ever thought that LeBron wasn't the best player on his team. He's played with Wade and Kyrie Irving and you know a lot of other great players. Like, What does that say about LeBron? I will say I don't know yet. I don't know if we should take that November or October LeBron and apply it to what we'll see later in the season, but I thought it was interesting to point out. He he was without question not the best player on the fourth for the Lakers in that game. Yeah, no, I mean it, it is interesting and I mean Kawhi just looks so dangerous, man. Yeah, he's a kill he's a killer. I mean he is he's an he's an incredible player. Uh, I mean it's not like it's anything we've learned. But um it's just it just became even more evident when you see him like on another team have like no real like kind of you know learning curve or like you know time to get acclimated to playing with these guys like look he looks like just like how he did in toronto last time we saw him um and he didn't have paul george out there did not have paul george out there still had no problem um i mean if i'm a lakers fan i'd be worried because the clippers looked better than the lakers without paul george and the lakers I mean, they didn't have Rondo. Frank Vogel's already hitting the panic button, putting Rondo. He made saying Rondo's the starting point guard when he comes back. 
but um, they didn't have they didn't have Paul George and they still looked uh, quite a bit better. And the Lakers didn't play great. You have to take that into consideration against the first game of the season. But this Clippers team is going to be dangerous. Is that is that somewhat of a bad sign from a head coaching standpoint for you that Vogel came up with this master scheme before the season of LeBron being the point guard, which, I mean, I did not like, by the way. I said it on the show. I thought it was not a good idea. But that was the scheme he came up with based on watching film, watching workouts, watching practice. He comes up with this scheme. They play one game against arguably the best team in the West, and he blow up your your plan? Like, what did he... I mean, I don't, I don't know what he saw in that one game that he thinks... It means that you have to now completely change everything up. That to me is a little concerning. If I was a Laker fan, that's the, to me that's one of the most concerning things. I've seen some Laker fans say that, oh well, you know, he, you know, putting Rondo in will allow them, especially when Kuzma comes back, to uh, to have a, a real distributor who can let these other scorers do their job, particularly someone like LeBron James. But I just don't. I don't know. I I, I shake my head at a coach who came up with a definitive plan. Before the season, and after one game, just blows it up, and then goes to something totally an different. Game season. An eighty-two game season. I mean, like I'm, 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 I'm trying. I'm not. I'm not a coach killer on this show. I, I you know, I, it's a difficult job, man. But and I definitely don't want to call coach kill a coach after one game. But that tells me a hell of a lot that of the confidence in your scheming and your game plan and your season plan that you put a plan forward for the season. And after one game, you're like, nope, never mind. We're just gonna put Ronda back in the point guard. A plan that everyone else thought was the logical way to go anyway. I mean, look, he's got, and we already not to we don't we don't know all the ins and outs of how the organizations ran, although mm-hmm. it's been reported, <laughs> but uh, on many occasions. But um, but what we do know is that this is a Lakers team and a Lakers organization that has three, like, well, three former head coaches as assistants. I know we have Lionel Hollins. Yeah, Hollins kid. kid. Who else is on the staff? Uh, I know they got uh, Phil Handy, who's LeBron's boy, um, and they have someone else, LeBron's boy from Cleveland. But um, regardless, like you have a lot of strong personalities on the staff. Two guys that were uh, considered, oh, Miles Simon, I think, is the other guy. But you have two guys that were considered uh, candidates for the head coaching job, and then you make this decision. If you're Frank Vogel, the optics from the outside make you wonder. I mean, was this Rob Palenka telling you this? Was this, you know, what, whose idea was it to make LeBron the point guard? Was it, mm. was it Kid's idea? Is it Kid's idea to then say we should go to Rondo? Is it Holland's, Holland's idea? Or is this all just Vogel? Because it's just strange that a coach would make, like you said, such a confident move. A seemingly confident move to make LeBron the starting point guard this season. And after one game in an 82-game season, if this is the NFL, and like you said, like, oh yeah, we're going to you know, try some guy out at wide receiver that normally doesn't play there, and it looks really bad for one game, then, yeah, you want to scrap it, it's a 16-game season. Right, you don't got time. That's the equivalent of playing, like, 10 games and it not working. Exactly, and being like, yeah, this isn't going to work. You know, we don't have... This is, this is like playing one quarter in the first game yeah. being like, ah, it's not, we got, we're, going, we're going back to the old quarterback. It's like, what? We're throwing it out. We're going back to the old way. That, that just, something reads funny about that. But the Lakers are running... The Lakers are run by the Jedi Council because everybody has a voice. So yeah. 
when any decision that's weird is made, you're always going to have doubts about whether it's coming from the head coach. You always will. Decision so decision to start LeBron, I you have doubts whether or not that was vocal. Decision to go back to Rondo at point guard is a decision you're gonna have doubts at as well. You just don't know because we it, you know Palinka has tried to make it clear. Reporting suggests otherwise. That is not very clear. That really anyone has Genie's ear because Genie isn't like a basketball expert. Anyone has anyone's her game to make a case that she may go for. Or that coach may lean on someone who Jeannie may value their opinion of. You know, so it's just a very complicated situation in LA. Overall, I think both these teams will be good and they'll be fine. But um, yeah, it's very impressive debut for the Lakers. If the Lakers are ran by the ran by the Jedi Council, does that make uh, Phil Jackson the Emperor? <laughs> make him Darth Sidious? Well, I'll like, tell you what, if LeBron was casting... He's like in the shadows. If LeBron was casting, Phil would definitely be Darth Sidious. That, that's yeah. that's without a question. Um, he's like, in, you know, GD is, is Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, nah, I think that... Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the Lakers, it, it wasn't a great debut. But, I mean, the people were trying to fight, asking for the coach to be fired. I mean, come on now. This is... This, Relax. <laughs> it's game one. It's hard to take. It, it's fun to have these conversations because finally we're getting some kind of. It's the first. It's the first concrete evidence of everything we've seen about what's going to happen this season. So it's easy to jump out to everything we've seen and say, "Oh, this is how it's going to be for the rest of the season, no matter what." And just because I saw this first take, that's my lasting impression. It's like it's the the, the ebbs and flows of the NBA season are so crazy. That it's great, fun having these conversations, but at the end of the day, this is all going to change a lot because it just happens every year. Um, I got to talk about my man R.J. Barrett. I got to give R.J. Barrett love because R.J. Barrett in in what was a a, a tough loss to the Knicks in which they get, had a 18-0 run in the fourth quarter go against them. The Spurs went on an 18-0 run after the Knicks were up by six in that game. Uh, the Knicks ended up losing by, I think, about eight points or so. R.J. Barrett at 21 points, man. He looked great. Uh, a lot of the, the concerns people had about him, I didn't see any of them. And now it's obviously his one game, but uh, the idea that he doesn't have a right hand, uh, well, he was, first of all, he was able to go left a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> it was hard to get him to stop going to his left hand. And there were a few times where he was able to, to switch to his right hand and make a couple of nice plays, uh, you know, being shifty around the basket. He's really strong. It, I think that's that. If there's anything from watching the preseason and watching these games that, to me, I didn't expect to translate as well from college and even from what I saw in the summer league, it didn't flash nearly as much. Was RJ? It just, I mean, there are plays where he's just bullying the guy that's guarding him, and these aren't. I mean, the Spurs have big guards. They're shooting guards and their point guards are all very, very sizable, and to see RJ just lower his shoulder and just barrel his way through them and they really had no way to stop him was impressive and he was able to knock down the three point three point shot which has been his achilles heel so far i mean say what you want about how much of a disaster the offseason was for the Knicks not getting any of the big stars in terms of free agency by looking at the the rookie debut and then looking at what we see from preseason i mean it definitely appears that rj barrett is without question um a, a potential building block for this team for the future I mean, he was great last last night, despite the loss. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. As the uh, the resident, you know, uh, new generation R.J. Barrett uh, detractor, <laughs> um, I, I feel like you know, I, you gotta eat some crow today. You gotta eat some crow. You gotta eat some crow. Yeah, hey, after one game, I gotta eat some crow. You know, like I, you know, I keep it a buck. I keep it one hundred. You know, R.J. Barrett was. I mean, all preseason has been excellent and continues to be excellent. Um, he, uh, if you compare him to where the other guys in the rookie class are in terms of his peer group, we're going to exclude Zion. Didn't play his first game, but I mean, obviously, on some level, Zion's ahead of everybody. But it, like, as a player, but um, if we're excluding Zion, I mean, besides, I mean, look, PJ Washington had a had a game that is, it seems like an outlier game that he probably won't be able to replicate. But we don't know. But we'll you say that, you say that now. And watch, 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 PJ Washington lead the league in three pointers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, unless PJ Washington's hitting four threes a game, then he's ahead of you know the guys we were really comparing him to were John Morant had a good had a good first game, but nothing spectacular. Tyler Hero had a good first game, and nothing spectacular. You know, Hachimura, Jared Culver. Uh, we'll see what Cam Reddish does in his first game, but like the guys that we typically have been lumping him uh, with, he's—I mean, none of those guys are, have or probably will do what he did in his first game. So that's an excellent start for RJ Barrett. Um, like you said, though, I mean, I was very confident in my evaluation of RJ Barrett. I, I just, you know, and look, I—I I, I haven't thrown it all out the window. You know, some of the the weaknesses I still. Some of the, the 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 things that I have with R.J. Barrett that I'm a little concerned about, some of the concerns I should say I have with R.J. Barrett are still there. But in terms of, like, he's ahead of where I would have expected at this point. Like, the guy he is now is probably what I would have expected him to be, like, three, four years from now. But he looks right. He's a, he's a very, very mature player. And that's um, what's, yeah. So right. and, and that last part about saying how he's a mature player, that was – to be honest, maybe the thing I was impressed with the most because the Knicks, it wasn't like San Antonio had a great crowd last night. It, they, I don't know if they were even sold out. But it's not easy to play in San Antonio. The Spurs are very good at home. The Knicks got off to, as a team, a terrible start. And what was crazy, watching it as a Knicks fan, the way the kind the game was kind of moving, you, you, you know, you expect Randall to play well. He did. He had 25 points before the cramps. Uh, Morris really responded to he had a stupid technical foul, which I feel like is going to be an issue for him all year. But uh, but he he really responded to the the boos he was getting all night because he ended up having a really solid game. But what was so telling to me was when as a Nick fan to watch that game and when things got tough and nip and nip and tuck, I felt like man, I kind of wish they'd get RJ a touch here because I think he's going to get a good shot. Like the fact that I'm, I'm as a fan, I'm looking at that saying as a 19 year old rookie, I felt most confident in him making the decisions. Does it say a lot about the Knicks? Yes. <laughs> uh, it says definitely says hell of a lot with a point guard situation, which is a complete disaster. Um, Dennis Smith and Nid Lakina were just completely unwatchable in the minutes they played last night. But the idea that I did feel that confident in him already, because he just he doesn't make a lot of bad decisions. Like, and that's also really surprising because at Duke, that's kind of what it was the main thing was that his shot selection was terrible. He gets tunnel vision. He kind of, you know, maybe plays in a way in which he thinks he's better than what he is. What's impressed me the most about him since he's 
been playing with the Knicks has been his ability to play within himself. I never feel like he takes a shot I don't think he can make. I saw him do that a lot, too. Where he was taking shots that had no chance. Because it's just where he is in his development, there was no way he was able to make those kind of shots. He was taking step-back threes, you know, going into three or four guys in the paint where nobody's there. The shots he's getting in the NBA are so efficient, which is why when he went 67% last night, it wasn't that surprising when you watch the game. He's only taking good shots. He, he made all of them. So you're not going to make all of them. Sometimes you're going to miss. He's not going to play that way every night. But I think the shots that he got, they can't take away from him. He's, you're not going to take away wide open three. You're not going to take away transition layups. And I, I think it's going to be hard to take away his drive because he's so strong. And he's not the fastest guy, but he's just he's just kind of crafty. And he's able to somehow get around guys, even when you don't think he's going that fast. I mean, if you're a Knicks fan, you got to be ecstatic about his play. Um, as a team, I, I still don't know what to think of the team. I, they played really well in spurts. It was a game they could have won, and they just got, they just fell apart in the fourth quarter. The point guard situation is an issue. I mean, Alfred Payton was the best of the bunch, and he played well. You got to give him his due. I thought he kind of changed the game and the tone of the game with his defense and his intensity. But, I mean, the point guard situation is a real problem. I think Dennis Smith shouldn't be in the rotation until he gets in shape and figures out whatever the hell is wrong with his jump shot. To me, he's right now is not a competent guard because for whatever reason, you want to say he's injured, you want to say he's not ready. I don't know what it is, but there's no way he should be out there playing while they're trying to win games. Or tell me they're not trying to win games because to me, he's not helping them in any way. If you're telling me this is another tanking year, then by all means, put him out there. But if you're telling me you're trying to win games, he's not helping him in any way. Um, and Frank, who I thought had decent moments in the preseason, was, was a disaster. But the team as a whole had some moments. Kevin Knox shot the ball really well. Um, they didn't have Mitchell Robinson. They still held up defensively up until the fourth quarter when things really kind of just completely fell off the rails. They're an intriguing team, um, but it's still the jury's still out. But you gotta feel good about RJ. You gotta feel good that good about uh, Randall, and you gotta feel good about uh, Mook Morris. Yeah, I mean. Look, I mean the, the Knicks. Um, that was that was kind of, that was an interesting game because like there was definitely a rivalry aspect to that, given the whole Morris situation mm-hmm. and whatever beef there was, and you know maybe it was something, maybe some stuff lingering from the whole Porzingis situation and whether or not the Spurs were involved in that. But um, you know I, they 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 looked like a team that looked. R.J. Barrett is going to be one of their top two or three players. I think that's already been established through preseason and through this first game, which you have to be excited about. Um, he'll go through his lumps. You know, I don't think that he'll go through this entire season unscathed, but um, I agree the the biggest situation is the point guard situation. Um, and that's something that I think will it'll be shored up next year. I think the draft is a lot of strong point guards. Some of which we may be talking about later, but um, they they they'll they'll find somebody. Um, but the rest of the roster looks like it's starting to come. It's starting to shape up a little bit. Like you said, Morris and Randall are legitimate, really good players in the NBA, and RJ Barrett also is a legitimate, really good player in the NBA. So you have three of those guys. That's a team that the Eastern Conference. You know, there aren't many teams out there that could say have three really good 
players, the three guys. I'm like, oh yeah, these guys are legit. Like, would get high rotation minutes on any playoff team. Yeah, I mean Morris. And Morris did it last year on the Celtics. As good of a playoff team as you'll find in terms of depth. And Randall obviously could start on most teams, and Barrett would get high rotation minutes on anybody. So, I mean, they have talent. It's just about you know. If you have no guard play in this league, it's hard to really win at a high level. Yeah, and that's that's why I it's hard for me to take the Knicks seriously as a playoff contender this year. Because Alfred Payton was good, but I mean he's every game he's in, he's still gonna be probably worse than the other starting point guard. So if that's the best they're gonna do at the point guard position this year, I mean, I don't I don't I just don't know how you make the playoffs. And point guard is such like it, it just drives everything teams are doing, and like to see like someone like Deontay Murray come off ACL and just get so many easy shots for the Spurs because he's just so nice. Like the fact that Knicks don't have anybody like that. They and I, I feel like Knicks haven't had any, anybody like that since Marbury. And I'm not saying that those were good years, but it just seems like way too many years. And you know, Lynn when he was playing well was like that, and Felton when he was playing well was pretty good. But like it just seems like for too many years of my life, the Knicks have had the worst point guard point guard situation in the NBA. It's kind of crazy that the team in New York, where it's a city of guards, not that that necessarily means anything. It just seems sacrilegious that I've sat through Chris Duhan and shout out to Charlie Ward, but he wasn't a scorer or, or really a dominant offensive player. Um, I, I, you, know, you know, Tony Douglas. I mean, I've, I've sat through some some. Some crazy guards. Frank Williams. Frank Will. <laughs> Frank Will. <laughs> I had to throw in the craziest name. Frank Williams. Frank Williams and Rick Brunson. You got to throw him in there, too. Those were probably two of the worst guards. <laughs> two of the worst guards. And, of course, and uh, and don't forget the the god Chris Smith. Um, oh, yeah. The, the, the worst guard I've ever seen put on Nick uniform. Definitely by far. It's, it's not fair. You see Kyrie Irving out there dropping fifty points. It's like that—that's the kind of guard play we see in a Madison Square Garden. It should not be happening over on Atlantic Avenue. But this is the life of a Knicks fan. Um, speaking of point guards, how about my man Markel Fultz? How about him? Oh yeah, throw a parade. Yeah. He had twelve points and six assists. He was over three from three. Okay, so you know we'll put that in there. But he had one of the highlights of the week with that throwdown he threw. Going coast to coast, which, by the way, as Jay Bill has pointed out, may have been the worst transition defense I've ever seen. It really was. <laughs> I mean, talk about not stopping the ball. I mean, my I man, folks got the ball at the other free throw line and just went straight line down the rim. I mean, tomahawked it. It was nasty, but just like, I mean, they didn't even try to get in his way. I, I don't know. The the Cavaliers, they, I, I tell I you. They're usually going to be the worst team in the league this year. I'm, I, you know, it's hard to say. Oh, this team is going to be like historically bad, but the Cavs look like they look like they could be definitely an exhibit A for a team that's one of the worst teams of all time. You know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that the Miami Dolphins are the of the NBA, but I don't think Kevin Love's going to be there the whole season. They'll shut him down at some point. They have talent. Do they? Like, like I look at obviously you mentioned Kevin Love, and I look at. You know, they have Tristan Thompson, they have okay. Sexton and Garland and You said they have um, talent. I heard Kevin Love. The other three guys I'm not like I can't I can't qualify those other guys as NBA talent after Kevin Love. Those other names I can't 
They got. I mean, they got. They, they have. Pl- they have players. I can't. I can't. The championship. He's the starting NBA center on a championship team. Tristan, that was years I ago. I mean, that team had LeBron. Yeah, and that was years ago. I'm talking about the Tristan Thompson in 2019. I mean, yeah, Tristan Thompson for this is, Cavs team, like he's not gonna. I mean, the, it's the classic thing of like a dirty work player on a bad team is a bad player. You know, that's just yeah. how it is. Dirty work player on a good team is a good player. Kenneth Reed looks terrible when the Nuggets are bad. When Nuggets are good, Kenneth Reed is a top 10, top 5 borderline power forward in the league. But, um, yeah, no, this Cavs team is atrocious. They're definitely, I think, the worst team in the league. Um, I thought, I thought, the, I thought the Hornets were giving them a run for that like money. But the, yeah, but the Hornets look good in game but one. They're just, a, they're just more competent. You know, James Borrego is a veteran NBA coach. You know, maybe not a head coach, but he's been around the league for a while now. So, like, you know, he, like, they're going to run competent stuff. They're going to play a competent brand of basketball, even if they're not going to win probably more than 25 games. But, you know, Beeline, who's also a very, very smart basketball coach, is a guy that's coming from college and making that transition. And it's just a little, it's going to be a little tougher for him, you know. And, the, the I mean, the Hornets... Talk, one the only, my my only takeaway from the Hornets and obviously PJ Watch had a great game. I got really not much to say about that because I you know I didn't have much of a scouting report on PJ Washington coming in. I mean I watched him a lot in college, but very indifferent as a prospect. <laughs> but regardless, um, I was disappointed that Malik Monk was come off the bench for Dwayne Bacon. Dwayne Bacon was balling too. Dwayne my Bacon guy, Dwayne well. Bacon. I, I, but, I thought he'd be a decent NBA player. He hasn't really popped yet, but he he had a good game. Like, I saw I saw Malik Monk couldn't start over Dwayne Bacon. I was really I'm, I'm really concerned about my guy Monk because yeah, it might be time to give it up on Malik Monk. Yeah, I was a guy. I mean, I think I thought like, oh, this is the year he's gonna have like 20 points this year. He can't even start on this team. I don't think I'm not the only one. I'm sure Michael Jordan and that entire. Hornets front office is also very disappointed. They can't start in this team. I know. I knew something. I knew some. I knew something was wrong with Malik Monk when the biggest headline he made before the season was him saying he could beat Michael Jordan one on one at Michael Jordan's advanced age. Uh, if the biggest thing you could say about your game is that you could beat a fifty-six-year-old man in one on one, that don't say a lot about your game to me. It doesn't. <laughs> I mean, I, and look, I know Michael Jordan is a legend, obviously, but I don't, <laughs> it's just a bad sign to me that, you know, you've not done much in your first two years of your career. And I don't know what the context was in which you brought it up, but you worried about being a 56-year-old man in basketball? How, you got a lot of 26- and 27-year-old men that come over your head every night in the NBA. I'd like to see you. Bust those guys behind. I don't care if you can beat Michael Jordan at a fifty six in a one on one game. So when I heard that from him, and I was like, "That's that's what we hear about Malik Monk. He's working so he can make sure he can beat Michael Jordan in one on one." While Michael Jordan is fifty six years old, and probably uh, smoking a cigar as we speak. <laughs> I mean, come yeah. on, that's that's that was uh, that was not a good look for him. By the way, oh, is it fair for people to really? Kill Mike for this Steph Curry not being the Hall of Fame comment. Do we? Did, I, no, I, I can't go for that. Did Did you assume he was trolling? Because I did. 
If he's not trolling, I think he's being like yes, he's trolling. But like, do you think he really believes Steph Curry's not a whole? He's trolling in the sense that like what he said was factual, but it sound he knew it was gonna sound crazy because he's a smart guy. He's media trained. So you think he? So you think he? You think he knew? You think he thinks Steph Curry is a Hall of Famer? That's what I need to know. Yeah, he thinks Steph Curry. That's not what he's saying. He's saying Steph Curry's not in the Hall of Fame. Like, so you think that he was taking the literal, the literal at at this current time and place? What happened? So you're saying that he took the literal at this current time and place notion about Curry being Steph Curry's not a Hall of Famer. Like he. He hasn't been inducted in the Hall of Fame yet. Uh, I think you're is, giving him... It's a true statement. I think you're giving him a lot of... Way more rope than I I was willing because to give him. Because what was... I was willing to give him a lot of rope. I don't even... I, I keep seeing the I keep seeing the video. I can't see why he... I brought, watched, like, the whole... T- I watched the whole interview. I mean, the and only the thing I could... The context was, like... I forgot what it was. It is was he opening a hospital? I assumed it was about the hospital in Charlotte. No, you know what it was? It was... Never mind. No, I, I I thought it was something about like if he could put together a team of like people around him or something. Well, like that. he did that. He, well, he did that too, and he didn't name any current players, which that I didn't have a problem. I had less of a problem with potentially than even this. I'm like, well, yeah, of course he's gonna put players that he played. Yeah, with. I, I I forget what the context was of the Curry comment, but when he said it, like he's saying like basically, I I interpreted it as like. He doesn't have the seniority or something along those lines. He doesn't have the, the accolade of, like, because he's not a Hall of Famer yet. You know, like, he doesn't have that right because he's not a Hall of Famer. And it's like, because he hasn't he hasn't been inducted. But, you know, people are going to give him nonsense for well, it. And, shout, and again, I, Jordan knew what he was doing. Well, shout out to he Brad. Knew he, gonna, he knew wording it that way was going to, you know, cause controversy. But... Well, shout out to Brad you know, Bodkin. Shout out to like he was, he was being uh when he talked about his you know concerns about his documentary or whatever. I, I thought he wasn't being fair. I mean, he was kind of saying how he was worried that you know he didn't want to do the the ESPN documentary and still not sure if he should have done it. But you know cause he thinks that stuff is going to get misinterpreted and doesn't think people are going to interpret it correctly and stuff. And I'm like. I mean, if you really didn't want to do it, it would never saw the light of day. But to me, you know, clearly, I think he very much wanted to do it. But that's that's my <laughs> You said a lot there. I was trying to get in. Um, clearly, okay. So a lot of things. Number one, shout out to Brad Bodkin from CBS because he he is the only other person I've seen who who's thinking how you're thinking that Jordan meant that Steph Curry is not a Hall of Famer yet because he literally isn't a Hall of Famer yet, not because he's not a Hall of Fame caliber player. I don't buy that. I think that he... I don't think that's what he meant, though I think that he does think that Steph Curry is a Hall of Fame player. Um, so I mean... Jordan, you think he does think he's a Hall of Fame? Yes, but I do think he was ribbing Steph. I can't explain why. Um, how? He, like, like, how? What do you mean, how? By his, uh, so you think that he was lying, essentially? Yes, so that you think Jordan's smart enough to realize that he's a, he's going to be a Hall of Famer that he should be, but that he's saying that he shouldn't be. Yeah, he's ripping him. I think. Or I think that him. I think that Steph is a special figure in the city of Charlotte, and the city of Charlotte shows him a lot of love. And Jordan, being 
the greatest athlete to come out of North Carolina. That I'm pretty sure that's pretty solid. I can't think of anyone else who came out of that state. I, I, Jordan is just always going to be a little bit threatened by like anyone who's comes anywhere near his airness, for lack of a better term. Like, so he's at this thing. I, I can't even remember. I, I still don't know why Steph Curry got brought up. He was at his hospital, so I assume maybe he's talking about philanthropy work in Charlotte. But maybe I'm wrong. I could have totally made that up. But it, it just I think it wasn't I, about that. I think it was not about that. That I don't know what why they were even talking to him. But to me, it was. I think that was his way just to rip Steph. I, I, I think that Steph has kind of become an easy target for some reason. And I, now I don't, I'm not killing him because I think that it was clear. I think he was clearly trolling because if he wasn't, I mean, that would be, if I was a Charlotte Hornets fan, I'd be really alarmed that like my, the guy that's running my team can't even acknowledge like the best point guard of the generation is, is, is indeed a Hall of Fame caliber player. Um, I mean, Jordan's not gonna give any of these guys that much credit. No, he doesn't. He doesn't want to. He 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 doesn't. Jordan. So he's gonna give the bare minimum. Yeah, I agree. Jordan, you're right. Right, that's a great term. Jordan gives the bare minimum respect to all of these guys. I don't think that. I think that he's always just the way his brain is wired. He's always measuring himself up against the guys of this generation. And I don't think knowing Jordan, I think he thinks he'd kill all of them. And that's why I mean he. He's usually very respectful of LeBron, and, and he usually bigs up LeBron. But, like, even his commentary on LeBron, he, you know, to be fair, he's an owner, so tampering can't come into play. But, like, he, even his t- commentary about LeBron is usually very tempered. <laughs> and it's not by accident. So I, I agree with you. I think that he's always going to kind of tread lightly when it comes to really truly bigging up the players of this generation. I don't really get it because he like employs the players of this generation. So you, I would hope that you would have a little more respect for their games. But he's Michael Jordan. He wouldn't have been Michael Jordan, I think, if he didn't have his brain wasn't wired, wired the way it is. So there's no reason to be mad about it. It's just how he is. But yeah, I, I did. I did see a lot of people just roasting him, and I, I, I it, to me, it's such a ridiculous statement that it, to me, he had to be trolling. But a lot of people didn't seem to to get it. Um, Matt Johnson got it. He said that he was trolling, clearly. Matt Johnson has a lot to say about the NBA now that he's no longer uh, a Laker uh, general manager. I got to find his commentary on that first game real quick before we move on because um, I thought it was pretty uh, funny. He said, Lakers Nation, the Lakers fourth quarter offense was stagnant and there was too much standing around in the 112-102 loss to the Clippers. That's his commentary. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more that happened, but and, and it also said in the Clippers' victory over the Lakers, the X factor was Clippers bench outscoring the Lakers sixty to nineteen, and Lou Williams leading the way with twenty one. I don't think like, Magic. I don't think Magic writes these tweets. Wait, we need to talk about this. I don't think Magic writes these tweets. Yeah, he can't be because like it's too weird. There, there's no way he. There's no way I can. I can. I can fathom him like saying to himself that like I gotta get this out because this is what people want to hear. It's like I don't know. Some maybe maybe it is, but like he just doesn't seem like the type that like is I gonna can't... say like. There's one thing to like. Oh yeah, somebody like you know gets drafted or somebody gets traded and like you want to make a comment on something that just happened. But like 
And then, you know, the game just happened. Maybe you want to say something about it. But, like, that's something, like, a beat writer would, would or, like, an but, actual analyst would, 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 would tweet. But, Kendall, that's, that know, gets like, to my point, Kendall. Like, to me, I can't believe I just discovered this in my own head. But he, I mean, that statement, both of these tweets are written like a bad news reporter, like a bad news producer. Like, I write this kind of these kind of scripts at my day job every day. Now, it's written a lot better than that. Uh, but th- I'm actually giving Magic credit because I don't think he wrote that. Like, I don't think any normal human writes like that. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, that was written as if it's someone someone's trying to read something they would say on television. And I can't imagine Magic sitting at the crib, and that's what he said. Now, is he relaying tweets to someone to write? That could be happening. But I'm starting to really consider whether or not Magic tweets any of this stuff. I'm, I'm re- I really think I might have figured something out here. Because no human writes like that. The, in the Clippers victory over the Lakers, the X factor was Clippers. the Clippers bench outscoring the Lakers 60 to 19 and Lou Williams leading the way with 21. Who writes like that? Yeah. There's no way somebody would tweet that. Like, you don't, you're not sitting exactly. You're not sitting at the crib and you're like, "Yo, let me break down the exact numbers in terms of the outscoring." And then Lou Williams leading the way. Like, who, no one, no one writes like that. A lot of people who tweet, they tweet how they speak. Magic doesn't speak that way. I've seen him speak for my entire life, and his tweets are all like that. Like that's like we've always thought his Twitter was weird, but I just don't think any of this is him. I, I think that's the, the the crux of it. I think that. He may be telling someone, I mean, Magic's a billionaire, or he's close to a billionaire, he's not. Like, I think he's, he's probably... an intern. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably got someone, and he's saying, yo, like, this is what I want to say about this thing. Like, write something for me. And they're writing horrible stuff, because, like, every time he just kind of looks, I don't know what the word is, I guess simplistic in how he, like, analyzes stuff, when I, Magic is way too smart in a basketball mind for me to think that this is... Got it. This is his only commentary of these games. Like he was just running the Lakers. I can't imagine that. Like that surface level commentary is all he right. has on this like game. Reading a box score. Yeah, like I can't believe that. That can't be all he has in this game. So Someone that tweeted, like nobody reads a box score like Matty Young. <laughs> I'm telling. I, I think I really feel like, but I, I kind of mm-hmm. hope I'm right because maybe it'll, it'll take Magic off the hook. Because yeah, he gets so much, absolutely. he gets so much heat for this, and like I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm reading this. I'm like, okay, now this is ridiculous. There's no way he wrote that. <laughs> like no one writes like that. I don't know. I, I that that's 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 my new conspiracy theory that Matt Johnson doesn't actually run his very infamous Twitter uh, profile, but that could be me. Um, I don't know. Any last, I don't know. There aren't too many last thoughts. I put here Jokic uh, closed out the Blazers. Uh, I think the Nuggets are going to be really good, but we'll get to them uh, in a little bit. But yeah, man, it's a fun week. I, I really, I'm looking forward to the season. It should be a, a fun ride moving forward. Um, we do this every year during our NBA preview show, so we'll do it again here. Kendall, we're going to pick two new All-Stars from East Conference. Almost every year, at least one player who never made the All-Star team from each conference makes the All-Star team. So last year we did this, and um, I had our our listing up, and of course I I don't have it now because I'm a idiot <laughs> who closed out of it. Um, 
But last year we had our we did this we did this last year. I think I believe last year I had Aaron Gordon and Donovan Mitchell, and you had uh, uh, Booker, and I don't remember who your Eastern Conference person was. Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. There you go. So we went uh, 04 last year, <laughs> last year, which was obviously uh, not good. But uh, we'll try this again. So and we've done better in other years. So uh, we'll do this again. So I'll go first. Let's start with the Eastern Conference. My Eastern Conference pick this year is going to be Pascal Siakam. Uh, I think the Raptors being a championship caliber, the championship team that they were last year, uh, they gained a lot of experience. And while they probably won't compete for a title again this year, I still expect them to be a very tough out night in and night out. And there's going to be a lot of responsibility uh, on Pascal Siakam to really you know, carry the offense. Obviously, Fred Van Vliet went crazy in that first game. And a lot of the other players will also have a lot of opportunities. But Pascal had 34. And he's a tough cover. We kind of saw in the NBA Finals. He's got a lot of moves. He's kind of herky-jerky. Um, he's he's just he's a tough cover. He's, he's a really good defender. And he can play about two or three positions. I think you're going to see him really kind of shine throughout the entire year. I think he'll kind of take that step up as being one of the top players in the Eastern Conference. Because when you watch the Finals, it was clear to me that he was one of the best players in the world. Um, he may be, for the entire season... Playing next to Kawhi, he wasn't able to really get to that level in terms of his numbers. But I expect him to get to those numbers this year. I expect something along the lines of 22-8 and eight or something like that on a team that's probably one of the top eight teams in the Eastern Conference and in playoff position. That will be good enough to send Siakam to Chicago for his first All-Star game. So who do you have in the East? For me in the Eastern Conference, um... You know, Jason Tatum is somebody that I think has a very strong shot, but, you know, I picked him last year. So I'm going to go to another front court player in the Eastern Conference that I think has a, also has a very good shot um, to make it. Uh, I'm going to go with Lowry Markner from the Chicago Bulls. Uh, uh, you know, I, I will, um, you know, say with a caveat that, of course, obviously we saw his first game where he dropped 35, at least had 17 rebounds. So, um, Doing this with a little bit of a uh, with a, with a hint that he may be the focal point at Bulls offense, but regardless, marketing uh, looked incredible in that first game. And if you look at the, just the, the makeup of the front court players in the Eastern Conference, uh, it suggests that you know because you have uh, Jimmy Butler moving. Uh, well, he's still he's still in Miami, but. Um, he may be a guard, uh, potentially, but outside of, if you look at, you have Kawhi Leonard, obviously moving from the East to the West, but outside of Blake Griffin, I mean, you mentioned Siakam as a shot, um, and Giannis, who, who are the, I mean, who's even going to start in the front court for the Eastern Conference? You know, like Giannis is a, is a guarantee. Giannis um, and Embiid seem and like Embiid locks. Is a, is a guarantee. Yeah, but after that, you know, it, it, that's where it becomes dicey. And so there's going to be somebody new. I don't know if it's Miles Turner. I don't know if it's Markin. I don't know if it's Yakum. I don't know. If or it's Tatum, Sabonis had a really Markin's good game. Sabonis played great in his first game. Markin is going to have a shot. And given the scoring production, I think he'll have in in Chicago. I, I think. I think we, we may be seeing Larry Markin in the in the All Star game this year. 
I think Marcus is a good pick, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. <laughs> but uh, my Western Conference pick is going to be uh, Rudy Gobert. Uh, this is a little bit maybe an easy one, though. He's had trouble in the last few years trying to get in. He he shed tears last year when he was not picked uh, last season. But I think that the league kind of now knows the kind of defensive anchor and dominant force he is in the paint. Uh, there's no secrets anymore. So I think the Jazz should be a very good team. It's hard to really pinpoint how good. I, I can't imagine they take that many steps up in the in, in the West Conference, considering uh, if you think maybe the Warriors take a step back, though I've been one saying I think the Warriors will still make the West Conference Finals. Um, and if the Lakers step up and the Clippers step up, then where the Jazz fit in there. I think they'll still be a very good team, but I think the fact that the Western Conference shifts around a little bit, there may be a little more respect for what Rudy Gobert does when you see these other LA teams and uh, uh, you know kind of take a take a, a big leap forward. Maybe Houston, um, you know, gets a lot of attention this year as well. I think we'll start to see. Wow, Utah's still in the mix, and yeah, they got Donovan Mitchell, who's dynamite, who had a really great game one. Yeah, they got Conley now, but I mean. The guy who kind of keeps it all together and really for a team that hangs a hat in their defense is the reason why they're able to do so. It's going to be on uh, it's going to be on, on Gobert. So I think that's why he get, finally gets his first nod this season. Who do you got in the West, Kendall? Uh, in the West, I have a pretty easy one. Uh, I got Luka Doncic. Um, you know, I, we did a YouTube video talking about bold predictions for the season. I had one of them being that Luka Doncic was going to be an MVP candidate. So... You know, and I pretty much guaranteed in that video he'd be an all-star. So, by definition, he did not make the all-star game last year, uh, even though I think he probably should have. And I, I think it's, I think it's almost a lock if he stays healthy. Uh, if we saw if anybody watched his first game last night against Washington, he had 32 points um, in three quarters, I believe, and was by far the best player on the floor. That's with Bradley Beal. You know, on the other side, um, Washington is not a great team, so I'm not going to, you don't want to overreact, but it it was one of the easiest 34 or 32 points that I had seen in a while. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be, or I believe it's 34 points, but he's going to be very, very effective this year, and he's going to be an all-star, and I think he could be more than that this year. So it should be fun to watch him and Porzingis in Dallas this year. Yeah, he completely obliterated uh, Bradley Beal in that uh, very testy matchup they had. But Mark, I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, Doncic is, is a tremendous player, and I think there's a very good chance we'll be seeing him in Chicago this year as well. Let's get to awards, Kendall. So I'll start first. Um, let's go with the the, the lowest of the awards. Not that they they're all any of them are low, but let's start with Coach of the Year. I'm gonna go with Mike Malone. Um, I was torn between Mike Malone and Brett Brown. I think Philly will have a really good off, a really good regular season. But I'm going to go with Mike Malone because I think, similar to what I, the case I made about Gobert, I think everyone is kind of just forgetting about the Nuggets, who, uh, as I said earlier, Jokic hit some huge threes last night to, uh, to beat Portland. The Nuggets are still going to be tough. Uh, Michael Porter is now in the fold. They still got Jokic. They, uh, Murray is expected to take another leap forward. I'm still waiting for my guy Gary Harris to finally pop. I'm not sure if it's ever going to happen, but if it's going to happen, it's got to be this year. Even if he doesn't, he's really solid, and I think he'll be able to get over some of the injuries, injury issues he had that really ruined last season. They're deep. 
they're talented, and I think Malone's an excellent coach. I think that while all these other teams are trying to figure themselves out, the Nuggets and the Blazers are the only two teams really that kind of know who they are. And I think both teams will have great success. But I think the Nuggets, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually end up maybe with the best record in the regular season because they're going to come in knowing who they are against a bunch of teams who are still trying to figure themselves out. Malone's um, been there now for a little while. Uh, you know, three or four years in the NBA is like an eternity with the way these teams change coaches. So the familiarity of the group, I think, will go a long way to Malone earning his first coach of the year award. So he's my pick. Yeah, for me, it's um, Nick Nurse. Uh, I think Toronto uh, is not going to be as bad as maybe people think. Um, I think they could still be a top four or five team in the Eastern Conference. And I think if they are a top four team in the East, uh, even top three, I think it's a possibility. But if they're a top three or four team in the East, then I can see Nick Nurse getting some uh, getting some looks considering he's already a championship coach. And losing Kawhi such a dramatic loss that, if they pretty much stay afloat, that that would be very, very impressive. I agree. If, if Nurse can, do, if your Nurse pulls off the top three in the East Conference, I, I think it's over. I don't see how he doesn't get it. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know what other circumstances would be, but that would be a, a tremendous season for the Raptors. Uh, most improved player, Kendall mentioned him earlier. I said I would allude to him very soon. Uh, my pick is Lowry Markkinen. Uh, I I've been very high on Lowry Markkinen pretty much uh, since he was drafted. Um, I didn't love him as a prospect, but I loved the fit in Chicago because of the need at the position. And he's really blossomed uh, into a truly all-around dynamic scorer. And we saw that really on display uh, last night. I thought he was in for a big season last year, and that season just got destroyed by the fact that he had to start the year injured. And I don't think he ever really fully got his legs underneath him. Um, I expect him to have a really big year this year. I think he'll be, end up by the end of the season, we'll be looking at Markkinen as one of the best power forwards in the Eastern Conference. I don't know where, but I'm saying he's easily top five by the end of the season. And I think that the Bulls, uh, they'll they'll compete for a playoff spot. I don't know if they'll get one. Uh, the bottom of the East is really, like, there's like five or six teams that are clearly playoff teams. And then the bottom, similar to last year, the bottom is just like you're picking out of a, of a, of a really uh, not the most appealing hat. In terms of the choices that will be left, I, I don't see why the Bulls with marketing, I think, taking a big steep step forward and Levine being the scorer that he is can't step in there, especially with the way Kobe White is looked, who is a rookie we haven't talked about. He had another uh, really solid debut. He was spectacular in the preseason. If, if White turns out to be the player I think he is, and with marketing and Levine playing well, the Bulls could, could compete for that last spot. I think marketing has a monster year, and he's the most improved player. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the uh, Toronto Raptors. Uh, many you probably thinking I'm going to go Pascal Siakam, but I am actually not. I'm going to go with Fred Van Vliet, uh, who I think uh, showed in that first game that he's going to take a leap this season. Um, and I, I think he may wind up being their best player this year. Uh, wow. Wow. That's a, that's a huge that's a huge prediction. You should put that in our bold prediction video. Yeah, I know, right? Well, <laughs> I did not see that first game. <laughs> I did not see that first game coming, but he looks like he has a confidence about him that you know the a lot of the co-signs that he's gotten this offseason from NBA analysts, NBA people, NBA players. You know, Kevin Durant saying that you know yeah that kid from Van Vliet serious. 
Uh, he looks like he's got an ultra confidence about him. You know, he went up and he battled Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green in the finals last year and won. You know, a lot of it was because Kawhi was great, but he balled out as well as Pascal and, you know, Lowry and Gasol. But, um, yeah, I could see Fred Van Vliet. I mean, I would have said he had, I think he may have a shot to make the All-Star game, but the East guards are too strong. I don't yeah. think he, I don't think he'll make it, but, um, but yeah, I, I think also, especially if Lowry gets moved, um, I, I think he's going to have a big year. And because he's now a, not a household name, but I mean, NBA circles, he's a household name. You know, I think that, um, I think he's got a real shot. Yeah. Van Vliet is a, a very, very underrated player. I think people who like our, like us who love college basketball, who saw him, play at Wichita State. It's so really cool to see how just spectacular he was in that first game and how great of an NBA player he's turned out to be. So um, I, it would be a shocker if he made the All-Star game. It would definitely be a shocker if uh, he won most improved player. But the guy is good. And when you you go from a, a NBA Finals where you're competing against the likes of, like you said, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson in the backcourt and your team comes out on top, your confidence in next season should be unlimited. I, I mean, if that happened to me, I think I could beat anybody. Because that's, I mean, Curry and Thompson are arguably, I think it's, they can make the case, are arguably the best backcourt of all time with what they've done as a group. So you you, you notch those guys. Then I, I'm thinking I could, I could go up against anybody. So he's seen Alonzo Ball and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Josh Hart, good players, but... He thinks I just went up against Steph Curry. Of course, I can dog these guys. So, uh, really awesome to see Fred Van Vliet continue to get more uh, more shine, and it'll be interesting to see if he's able to win that uh, most improved player, defensive player of the year. I'm going with Anthony Davis. Uh, the guy is just a he's a he's a potential pick every single year, but I think this year he'll be able to stay healthy, so I'll give him a better shot. Playing next LeBron, there won't be so much of the offensive load that he's used to carrying that he'll be able to really zero in and focus in on his defense. And the fact that you see him playing a lot of four still, though I don't know how long that's going to last, you'll get to see him play a lot of different guys. So I think not only will you see him be the dominant player blocking shots and coming from the weak side and, and being the back line of the defense, but I also think you'll see him in really uh, fun one-on-one matchups with the Giannis Antetokounmpo's and guys like that that you wouldn't really anticipate. And I think you'll see him shine. AD is a tremendous, tremendous two-way player. I think he'll uh, he'll he'll cement his status as maybe the best two-way player in the game with the MVP award. Oh, excuse me, with the defensive player of the year award. Uh, defensive player of the year is always the toughest one because you know there's really no metric. It's even hard to really figure out what the league looks at uh, or the voters look at. But um, I'm gonna say that they give it to. Uh, I agree. I'm going to say they give it to Anthony Davis. You know, the the hype of him playing in L.A. Plus, uh, I can see the Lakers having an improved defense this year. Um, I don't think they'll be spectacular. And sometimes they do give defense play the year to guys who are on great defense teams. But um, if the Lakers are improved defensively because of Anthony Davis, it'll be because of Anthony Davis. And... Um, I, I think because he has such a microscope on him, I think that should help. And he's a great defense player himself. So, um, yeah, I think I, I agree. I think it'll go to Anthony Davis. 
Rookie of the year. Um, we did a video on this, so I'm gonna stay consistent with my pick. That I, I said last, I said I said last week I, I felt terrible about my pick because of what happened because of Zion never, Williamson. Never wavered. Yeah, I'm, yeah, right. Yeah, I was I was sticking there through and through. Um, but I'm gonna stay with John Morant. Of course, uh, our show last week was did not age very well. Like you know, pretty much you know, twelve hours after we taped it, it didn't age very well. Um, because Zion was, of course, announced to be out for the first two months with uh, meniscus surgery. So us saying that we weren't worried about his injury, we were dead wrong about that. And um, I think he's the best player in the class, but I think that's going to hurt his chances of winning this award. Now, the meniscus injury, it's kind of weird. Guys come back, it's kind of a hit or miss. Some guys come back, and it's like they never got hurt. Zion seems to, kinda, seems to be the kind of guy that's probably what will happen. Other guys, it takes them a little while, so we'll see what happens. But um, even if he comes out great, I think that it won't be enough to overcome what John Morant does in Memphis. Obviously, game one wasn't anything to really write home about. But I still think he's the, the most electric player in this draft. And I expect him to have a, a big season in Memphis. Uh, this is an interesting one. You know, obviously, I picked Zion Williamson. I'd be shocked if he won it. Um, I don't know if I'd be shocked. I would not be shocked because the people want to give him the award. He's the most popular yeah, player. He's, I think he's the most popular player in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's hard to – and I remember I, I said that at one point. I was about Steph Curry that, at, a time that, at a time that maybe was controversial because LeBron was so popular. But at a moment in time when he was in the middle of his back-to-back, I was like, Steph Curry is clearly the most popular player You talk player about approval rating? Zion is yeah. 100. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, that's the way I thought about Steph. Or that's how like I feel about Zion. You know, you have those people, oh, he still can't shoot. <laughs> you know, whatever, but... Um, yeah, he's so popular that him. I can see the, the, the people in the media. And he's a great player, also. I don't want to take it away from his game. He's a great player. But it, even with the two two months out, three months out, however long it is, they're, they're going to want to give him the award. So I can see them an MB situation. giving it to him. Now, Embiid... They didn't give it to Embiid, by the way. Then they should have. They didn't give it to Embiid. He gave it to Malcolm Brogdon. But. And he, and got, he a, got robbed that, that year. That was an awful rookie class. It was, but he got and robbed. You would, yeah, he probably should have won it. Um, you would think that that precedent would set that, like, yeah, he probably won't win it. Because the rookies will be better. He may not miss as much time as Embiid did. But the rookies in this class will be better than what was an historically bad rookie class that year. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to go with John Morant, but it, a lot of it depends on how many games Zion plays. If Zion plays more than 50 games, he's going to win it. I don't know if that number is high. I don't think Zion's going to play until the All-Star ring, which is disappointing, but I think they're going to be extra, extra cautious. Whatever timetable they set, six to eight weeks or whatever it was, or five weeks or however many weeks it was, add another five to that, which is unfortunate. Add another month to that. I do feel, but, yeah. But, yeah, oh. no, I, I think if, if he doesn't win, I think it'll be Murray. I do feel confident, though, that all the, pretty much all the guys I named in our video will be major factors in the rookie of the year situation. Hero, yeah, Barrett, Barrett and I think Rui Hashimura will also get, he had a very, he had a solid game one. It wasn't spectacular, but he played well. And I, and I mentioned Kobe White in that video, too. I think Kobe White will... I, I think that he's the X-Factor. I, I, he looks like he's going to have a really good year. So, 
I feel good about all of them. I think all of them have a good shot. I think Ja will still take it in the end. Finally, let's do MVP. I'm going to go with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, similar to what I mentioned about um, Zion just a minute ago. It, it just seems to be his time. Like It seems like the MVP, as much as it is, as it is about you know, being, quote-unquote, the best player and being the guy who does the most for his team, a lot of it is also just it being your time. Like, Harden was great when he got it, but it also was his time. Harden was great last year, but it was Giannis's time. So we gave it to Giannis. And not that Giannis didn't deserve it. These are all great, great players. But you get the impression that the way the MVP award kind of goes, like, it's not just your play. It's just also where you, what you've done in your career. And is this the time and place for us to appreciate what you've now done based on how you're playing in that season? Uh, Kawhi has never won the MVP award. He's been in the conversation, but I think because he played with the Spurs and because he's a quote-unquote fun guy, <laughs> sarcastically, that uh, he never really got the respect and the recognition that he should have had. Um, I'm not saying he should have won one, but he could have been in the top three or four in voting in a lot of the years maybe where he wasn't. I think he gets that respect this year. He's playing in Los Angeles. He's an NBA champion. He's uh, one of the most talked about guys now in the NBA, which is, is so crazy considering he is so quiet. Um, and I think that the the situation he's in Los Angeles, I think it's going to be a match made in heaven. So uh, I think that Kawhi, on a very good team, putting up great numbers, will win his first MVP of the year, MVP award of his career. Um, I'm going to give it to. It's going to be between Giannis and Harden again. I'm going to give it to Giannis. Uh, I think both will be excellent this year. It'll be the same debate. Um, Kawhi, I think, as great as he is and as much as the narrative has changed around him because of that championship, I don't know if the numbers are going to look like Giannis and Harden's will. And I don't know if the amount of games will be enough for him to win it. Uh, LeBron and AD, uh, I don't think they're going to win enough games. Um, and I don't think their numbers will be enough to... I mean, AD will have the numbers. I don't know if LeBron will to win MVP. And so because of that, and Curry is another guy you have to look at, but again, I don't know if they're going to win enough as well. I think the the Bucks and Rockets will win plenty of games, and I think the numbers for Harden are going to be so gaudy that he'll be in the race. But Giannis... Well, Giannis is the best player in the league, um, and I, I think I think going to win. I think he's going back to back. I certainly uh, think that Giannis would be in the race. I think that I think all the guys named Giannis, Harden, Curry will all have very very solid seasons. But um, as I said before, I think the, the writers and the way the lead narrative just seems to go every year. It's just more than just. Or are you putting up the best numbers? Are you the best player? That doesn't... And I can't say it doesn't matter, but it's not nearly... It doesn't matter nearly as much as maybe it should. And um, the narrative to me is swinging towards giving this award to Kawhi Leonard. Now, last year, I thought the narrative was swinging towards LeBron James. He, His team and him, he just didn't play well enough to ever get it there. Um, I don't think that would be the case with Giannis. Oh, excuse me, with Kawhi this year. So that's why I got Kawhi. But Giannis is, is a is a beast, and um, him winning it wouldn't be a shock at all. All right, West, my NBA Finals. I'm going to have the Clippers coming out of the West, and I'm going to have the Sixers coming out of the East. So it, this, the West is it's just it's impossible to pick to me. Um, 
I think there are legitimately four or five teams I could see come out, and that wouldn't surprise me. I could see the Clippers. I could see the Lakers. I could see the Nuggets. I could see the Blazers. Um, you could, and you could talk me into the, the Warriors, and you could talk me into uh, – you might be able to talk me into the Jazz if Donovan Mitchell takes a leap that I'm not expecting. So that's six really good teams, and four I think can win a championship. Um, I think the Warriors will make a great run in these in these Western Conference playoffs, and I still am sticking to my bold prediction that they will make the Western Conference Finals. And they'll upset somebody, but I think that in the end, the Clippers' defense, their length, uh, will be too much, and they they have too many shot makers. I think when you combine uh, Kawhi and Paul George, who has been a little shaky in the postseason, but you would put Lou Williams into that mix. I think Lou Williams is one of the most underrated scorers in the NBA. He's just He's a little guy, but he he could just get it going, and he could be unstoppable. And we saw that in in uh, their first round matchup last year with the Warriors. Now he's got two bona fide superstars on his team. That's going to be a tough pairing in terms of trying to stop those guys late in games. Their defense is going to be outstanding. Doc Rivers is a championship coach. I think they come out of the West and they end up winning it all. But they'll they'll face a tough Sixers team. The Sixers, I think, are I think they're by far the most talented team in the Eastern Conference. They scare me because I don't know who's closing out games. And it seemed last night, if last night they need an indication, they seem to be uh, ready to play a bruising, old school style of play throughout this entire season. That's intriguing to me because I don't mind that kind of style of basketball. It's a basketball I grew up watching. So I'm curious to see if a team that looks and plays like a team from 2002 can win an NBA championship and this is going to be our test we're going to we're going to find out with this team but in the east I just don't see anyone who has the kind of roster put together that can compete with them on just a pure talent level so I'm gonna say Sixers get there I don't know about their coach I don't know what they're doing in the fourth quarter but I'm gonna still say that they get to the finals but when they get to the finals not having that fourth quarter obvious clear closer will be a problem playing against Kawhi Leonard and that's why the Clippers will win it all Yeah, um, I may have tipped off where I was going, but I've got the uh, the 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 Bucks coming out of the Eastern Conference, I've the Rockets coming out of the West, uh, which means we're seeing an NBA Finals preview this week. But um, my champion is the Milwaukee Bucks, which is unfortunate for uh, all of the. Um, all the, the, the teams and free agency that are hoping to, to lower Giannis out of Milwaukee, but uh, I think they won a championship this year. Um, Harden and Westbrook have a shot. They definitely have a shot. Um, and a lot of all this can change with all it, we saw last year with the Rock, the Raptors getting Marcus All. You know, things, moves can be made to for teams to win championships. So that could come with the Ra- the Raptors, it could come with the Clippers, it could come with the Sixers, whoever, Nuggets, Celtics, whoever f- feels like they have a shot to win a championship. But um, but no, I think the Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference. I think they're being un- surprisingly underrated this year. Uh, and I think the, Ra- the Rockets are going to be better than what people think. Um, I do think they may be more of a regular season team than a playoff team, but... Uh, when I look at 
the the offense that they're going to be bringing. I, I just don't know how they're going to be guarded consistently if Westbrook and Harden can stay healthy. Um, D'Antoni is an offensive wizard, and giving him two guys like that hasn't always worked, but it's it just feels like if he can make this work, that it can be really dangerous. So I, I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the Rockets coming out of the West, which is gonna be a gauntlet. You know, I could have went with a lot of different teams, but yeah, I'm gonna stick with these two. All right, let's get to who's flames, who's trash before we get to Kendall's court and get out of here. So I'll go first. Uh, flames today, Kendall. Uh, Australia's NBL basketball league um, is flames because. This was probably the most attention I've ever seen given to that league in Australia, where it is their top professional league. But it was a lot of attention today because two of the top prospects heading into this year's NBA draft, RJ Hampton and uh, LaMelo Ball, squared off today. And I think it was really amazing to kind of see this much attention given to a, uh, <laughs> a, a Australian league game. But this is pretty much where we are. Um it's great, obviously, for uh, for Australia that their basketball league has gotten this much attention. But it's focusing in on the actual play from these guys. The game was a blowout. Uh, uh, I believe Hampton's team just completely wiped the floor with uh, Lamelo Ball's New Zealand uh, excuse me, Iowari Hawks. Um, the New Zealand Breakers won the game. There were some highlight reel plays, though. I mean, Lonzo had a had a tip dunk that was. Pretty spectacular. He finished in a. He had a step back three. Also, that was nice. He had ten points, seven rebounds, and four assists. Lamelo, um, you call him Lonzo. Lonzo, I call him. I call him Lonzo. I meant Lamelo. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Lamelo Ball uh, had ten points, seven rebounds, four assists. Um, Hampton had eight points uh, with seven rebounds, and he had a really, really nice uh, assist on one of the fast breaks. He had three overall. It was kind of, it was just neat. I mean, it was different. I mean, I don't necessarily want this to be the norm that, you know, two of the top prospects by far in this year's draft are guys that I'm going to have to wake up at 2 a.m. to watch. But it was kind of really cool to see so much of the basketball world, basketball social media, you know, put all their attention into a Australia League game at a time when the NBA is still in their, you know, premier week. Uh, this could be... Uh, the mark of a shift in what we think of college sports and where these guys may be going in the future. We'll see. But uh, it was a high-profile matchup, and I think he pretty much lived up to the hype. No, not that either of these guys had huge numbers, but they both played well, and they gave their uh, their share of highlight reels. So my uh, my flame this week is uh, Australia basketball. Yeah, yeah, I'll be honest. I'm getting uh, I'm getting a little bored with the, with, with the LaMelo ball and R.J. Hampton, Australia stuff. It only took only took a couple weeks, and you know, you know, I'm, a, I'm an NBA draft junkie, but it, it's just it's just hard for me to to watch these guys playing like games that like not that the Australian league isn't like it's terrible. not that bad, yeah, it's not terrible, but like I just like because it's not the Euro League, like I just I I have, and it's also not even like China where like China I know is bad, so like I know like. <laughs> All right, like these guys should dominate. Like the Australian league, it's like somewhere in the it's like somewhere in the middle. So you don't really know how to qualify anything yeah, that's I don't happening. Even know how to evaluate? I'm like, I mean, I guess Lumelo should look great, but you know, at the same time, I, I don't know. These guys are. So I remember this name playing D1, but basketball. So I don't know. But 
So yeah, it, it's and they're, they're, the game is coming at such weird time. They play at like four a.m. Like it, it's it, it's an experiment. Um, apparently, the the league is worried that those guys are gonna leave uh, <laughs> gonna leave early in the middle of the season to start uh, draft prep and just you know. Oh, that's on that's 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 on them. I mean, they should have seen that coming. Of course, that's yeah, gonna happen. It's kind of like you know. Yeah, exactly. You signed up. You know what you signed up for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, at this point, I I just want to see college basketball. You know, this was cool. I, I wish these guys were playing in college basketball, but you know, at least it does give you an alternative. If, you, if you're tired of watching college basketball, you can, and you want to watch future NBA prospects, at least you can watch these guys. Um, Lamelo has been very exciting. He can't shoot, which is a little bit of an issue. He, He's not he can't shoot, but he's been very, very inefficient, very struggled from three. So that's, that's a little uh, unfortunate early in the season. And Hampton's been up and down, you know, really, really struggled in those NBA preseason games. Who would have thought? Last <laughs> 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 year, struggling <laughs> playing against John Rand and Chris Paul, but um, but he he's played pretty well in the games against the Australian competition. So, um. Both guys have some areas of improvement, but they both look like lottery picks, so uh should be fun to follow. Yep. Who you got for Flames? Uh, this week for Flames, I've got the College Basketball Champions Classic. Now, of course, the Champions Classic is uh, college basketball's annual, um, you know, doubleheader that they play at an NBA arena at the start of the season. Uh, this year will be the first night of the college basketball season, which I believe is November 5th, Tuesday. Uh, it's always a matchup between Nord- uh, Kentucky, the four teams, always Kentucky, Michigan State, Duke, and Kansas. And the matchups rotate every year. This year, uh, Michigan State's playing Kentucky and Duke is playing Kansas. The reason why, and obviously it's always a great matchup, it's always a great um Event, but the reason why I'm putting it flames is the AP poll came out uh, for college basketball and the coaches poll came out this week for college basketball and the 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 top five uh, was Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Louisville. Mm. So uh, by my read. That means that the top four teams in the country are all going to be playing in the same building that's against awesome. one another. Uh, the first night of college basketball. Well, that's, so, that's awesome. Well, uh, and you know, you know that you know what that building is this year, right? Madison Square Garden. Can't get it any Madison. better than that, man. <laughs> number one and number two team in the country. I, mean, I might have to pull up, man. I'm serious. Kentucky, Michigan State will be. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll hope that bank account's looking good, EJ. <laughs> is tickets that bad? You think tickets is that bad? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you got the number one and two teams in the country playing each other <laughs> yeah. in New York. Isn't that, really, I mean, it should be a pretty. I mean, unless you want to go in the nosebleeds, nosebleeds, you know. You, but um, yeah, I gotta check out that StubHub. I can see how that StubHub, yeah, StubHub yeah. is looking. But yeah, no, I mean, I don't think this is going to be the most hyped up Champions Classic ever because I think that certainly has to go to uh, the year that I believe it was twenty thirteen. When Duke played Kansas, the same matchups, but um, Duke had Jabari Parker, Kansas had Andrew Wiggins, and Kentucky had Julius Randle and the Harrison Twins, and 
Michigan State had brought back Gary Harris, and they were one of the best, young, uh, best, most experienced teams in the country. Those teams weren't the top four teams in the country unanimously, but um, those teams had more hype because of the freshmen they were bringing in. These teams are the four best teams in college basketball, which never happened before. So, mm. um, I am very excited, as I'm sure a lot of, I'm sure all college basketball fans are. Uh, look, goodbye, goodbye them for keeping the Champions Classic going, and I'm glad that they've pushed it up to the first game of the season. Makes it even more like kind of like those college football. It's like the yeah, the tip those yeah. tip off kickoff classics. Yeah, it was kickoff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, college football. It's like you really find out about your team that first game. You don't know. You don't know anything. And it gives these teams like months to prepare for their, their opponent. It's fun. That should be uh, a really really awesome game to watch. Uh, uh, games to watch the top four teams coming at the guard coming to the garden. Um, my trash this week uh, is really I'll tell you what man it was going to be a tough. It was going to be tough for anybody to top Miami football after what they did on Saturday. But amazingly, a team in the World Series somehow made that uh, made that happen because Houston Astros are my trash this week. As not have anything to do with the fact that they're choking away the World Series to the Washington Nationals as they're down 2-0 with the series heading back to Washington. It is, uh, they are trash for their whole debacle in handling the situation regarding their assistant general manager who has now since been fired for uh, what they're now calling inappropriate comments to female reporters. This gentleman by the name of Brandon uh, Taubman, I want to say is how you pronounce his name, um, is a, is a, the backstory is pretty small and simple. After the Astros had defeated the Yankees to go on to the World Series in the ALCS, uh, when they beat them in Game Six, they they were celebrating. Of course, you know you get the champagne and all that stuff is normal. At one point in time, uh, Brandon Taubman, this assistant general manager, uh, through his I guess uh, drunken stupor or whatever his situation was, maybe he was just high off the fact that they one and he was excited uh yelled at a bunch of female reporters uh saying thank you god we got ozuna thank you effing i'm so effing glad we got ozuna now if you don't follow major league baseball you're probably thinking who is ozuna ozuna refers to uh roberto ozuna who is their uh their, their closer who did not pitch well in that game by the way which made it even more weird that he would uh Spot like this acquisition that they did. He blew, he gave up two runs. <laughs> the game almost blew the game. But uh, Ozuna is their closer. He's also uh, a, a man who was suspended by Major League Baseball for 75 games for charges uh, related to uh, domestic violence against the mother of his children. Well, he was a member of the Tampa uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Um, it took a lot of guts, but shout out to Stephanie Apstein, who decided to report that this happened uh, in Sports Illustrated. She wrote a story about the fact that this assistant general manager, uh, you know, yelled at a bunch of female reporters celebrating the fact that they had uh, signed a guy who had been suspended in relation for an incident related to domestic violence. That was horrendous, obviously, what this dude did. But I think what made it super worse was the Astros' response to it, which is what essentially they said they made it up. 
regarding uh, uh, Epstein's stories. They said that this was, uh, you know, a statement that um, that this was a fabricated situation. Here's the exact quote. They said, the story posted by Sports Illustrated is misleading and completely irresponsible. An Astros player is being asked questions about a difficult outing. Our executive was supporting the player during a difficult time. His comments had everything to do about the game situation that just occurred and nothing else. They were also not directed towards any specific reporters. We are extremely disappointed in Sports Illustrated's attempt to fabricate a story when one does not exist. Apparently, uh, they thought that every, they thought that people are stupid and they don't actually have other people who were in the room when it happened. And they made it clear that what Stephanie had posted was pretty much exactly what happened. Sports Illustrated backed her up by saying uh, last night that Houston Nationals released a statement calling into question the accuracy of a report by Sports Illustrated Stephanie Aspin on a scene she witnessed in the locker room during the Astros' ALCS clinching celebration. Sports Illustrated unequivocally stands behind Aspin, her reporting in the story, which was subsequently corroborated by other media members present at the scene. Any implication that SI or any of its art journalists would fabricate a story in its detail or intent is both disappointing and completely inexcusable. The Astros uh, then kind of went into hiding as their World Series situation fell apart and came out today and said that they were indeed firing this guy. The guy Taubman had to come out with a statement apologizing, saying that you know his intention was 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 not to um, intimidate these women or or to to make light of the domestic violence situation this guy went through. Um, but obviously that wasn't enough to keep his job because this story kept kept going and kept going. So they eventually fired him today. They released a just another ridiculous statement uh, on the situation that I'm, I'm trying to pull up right now. It just, to me, it was amazing that the World Series was going on and you had a Major League Baseball team in the World Series completely defame and just try to destroy the character of a journalist working the series. And then Major League Baseball was nowhere to be found. I, I thought that that was truly a embarrassing showing by Major League Baseball. And you know, a lot of people wouldn't jump on the NBA for their trying situation. And trust me, they didn't, I've talked about how they didn't handle that trying situation well at all. But for Major League Baseball to have this happen during the World Series, and for multiple days, uh, a team is just, again, just slandering uh, a reporter to protect a guy who was making light of domestic violence, potentially. I mean, talk about a complete mess and uh, no control over your league. Just a horrendous job. They The Astros today came out with a statement saying, uh, our, or, well, actually, that's not the statement. I'm trying to read the statement they found earlier. But I don't know, Kendall, if you had anything to say on it. I, I just thought that this was... Uh, just a sad situation all around. Yeah, um, yeah. I, this, yeah, this was a very bizarre, bizarre situation. I, I, I still can't. I still go back to you know. I, I don't know what this, 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 this exec Tallman was thinking. I mean, this guy's the assistant GM of the team. You know, has a has an analytics background. Has a you know. A degree from I want to say Cornell, from what I from what I could tell, worked at Ernst and Young, and you know, like he, he's, he's a smart guy, but I just I 
it it almost sounded like like I like I myself I want to say I don't, I questioned the validity, but I had to I had to like double take and be like, is this real? Like, did this actually happen, or is there something that I'm missing? Because it sounds so outrageous, but it sounds so like dumb of him to do this. And I mean, look, he hasn't come, he hasn't outright denied it, so like obviously something happened. So um, obviously he said he's out of a job now. Uh, it's just really, really again bizarre that he would do something like this and. Um, you have to wonder if again he's under the influence of some sort of, uh, or he's inebriated on some level, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the only it's the only way someone I would imagine uh, at that level <laughs> would 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 react like that, because either that or he just felt really secure about his job, which is possible. I mean, he's the assistant GM of the best team. In the, in the that AL. just that just made it to the World Series. Yeah, it just made it to the World Series. It made it feels like I'm untouchable. But uh, if that's the case, and maybe at the end of the day, it's probably a mixture of both. I do got to probably I, not one or the other. You know, it's probably a mixture of both. I'm sure this, the latter came into play as on some level. But um, yeah, it's just a very bizarre situation. Um, Astros are a better organization than that. And I'm uh, I'm glad that they've. They realized they had to they had to cut ties, but but how also, does I mean, how I does that happen though? But how does this happen, Kendall? Over they let this thing fester over multiple days over what was just a purely insane act by their executive. I mean, just complete, yeah, completely they, putting the whole entire organization at risk, and the goal of them to stand behind this guy is if people don't got eyes. And it's people tough, don't got you know, ears. Like, people don't got cell phones that way they recorded this stuff happening. Like they just they thought they were gonna get away with this. The fact they thought they were gonna, they were gonna get away with this was so crazy. And the fact that Major League Baseball as a whole just sat on the sidelines and watched this thing completely implode. I don't want to say that this is is, is affecting the way that they've played in this World Series so far, but it's just, it's insane that this has allowed the oh, fest this this festered the way it did to the point where. No disciplinary action, disciplinary action was taken. The actual way was again just throw a reporter completely under the bus, completely slander her, completely defame her in a way that was. In, I mean, think about it. the Washington. I mean, the, the Houston Astros are a multi multi million dollar, maybe a billion dollar company, and they just completely defamed an individual. Like, like they 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 could face legal trouble if someone was uh you know was uh, motivated to go in that route. And Major League Baseball allowed them to just do that, and they just sat by the sidelines and said, "Oh no, don't worry, just watch the games on Fox." <laughs> like, I just thought that as a league, they showed so much weakness in this. They just wanted everybody to, to forget, like it wasn't going to happen in this climate. Yeah, How do you think that that was going to go? I can see the motivation in terms of like if if the Astros felt like all right, like because obviously again, Tallman. Some as it has is a bright baseball mind, you know. Obviously, they probably hoped that this wasn't true. Uh, for a while, they probably realized it was, but they they hoped that they could that there was a, an out there was an outcome that didn't have to get to this point. Um, but once once like it was 
hard to come up with a the, with an explanation. It was impossible to prove to to prove to give an explanation for why he why this came out. They they had to they had to give him the axe. Um, and undoubtedly, this is I think has had some effect. Not it's not the reason they're losing, but has it. This is it's, it's a dark goes, it's a dark cloud over the team. Yeah, this isn't something that goes unseen on a, on a sports team. You know, um, the assistant GM isn't just some guy. He's not a pencil pusher in the corner of the like. <laughs> like these guys all know who this guy is, right? And on this le- on this level, for him to not be, for him to, <laughs> I mean, it's a national scandal. You know that that's not going to, that's something that's going to permeate throughout the entire organization. So that's that's uh, it, it's poor timing. That's, that's all. That's real all. real quickly, I just do want to read their statement. They said. Uh, during the past two days, Astros proactively insisted Major League Baseball in interviewing Astro employees as part of MLB's investigation of the event, uh, event published in recent in, a, in the recent Sports Illustrated article. Major League Baseball also separately interviewed members of the media over the past 24 hours. Our initial investigation led us to believe that Brandon Taubman's inappropriate comments were not directed toward any reporter who were wrong. We were, not fact, any reporter, we were wrong. We sincerely apologize to Stephanie Epstein, Switzer, Illustrated, and to all individuals who witnessed this incident or were offended by the inappropriate conduct. The Astros in no way uh, intended to minimize issues related to domestic violence. Our initial belief was based on witness statements about the incident. Subsequent interviews have revealed that Taubman's inappropriate comments were in fact directed toward one or more reporters. I need to, We need to know who these witness statements are or from. Because that to me tells me that if you have if you interviewed employees and they're telling you that this never happened, who are they and why are they still employed? Because they lied. They lied. If if this is true, because someone is lying. Either the Astros are lying that they had these quote unquote witness statements that they were intended to believe that this didn't happen, or their witness the witnesses who did tell them that oh no they made that up. They were just covering for uh, a just uh, a, a clownish act by their assistant general manager, and why are they still employed? Like it, it, I mean, just trash all around. The Astros, man, they about to get losing the World Series, and it's, it's sad for them to go out in this way. But uh, when you see this horrendous scandal and this stupidity by the front office, it's hard to really feel bad for them and how it's going. So, Astros, you're trash this week, Kendall. Who's your trash for this week? Uh, my trash is uh, the 2020 NBA free agency site. Um, not necessarily. I mean, look, 2020 free agency is going to be pretty lame. You know, we have Anthony Davis probably going to be, I mean, assuming the Lakers are a playoff team, I think that's pretty much the all they have to do. <laughs> if, if they're a playoff team and LeBron and they're healthy and LeBron's healthy and AD's healthy, he'll be back in LA. You know, if one of those things is not true. If LeBron is hurt severely and or the Lakers aren't a playoff team, then they become a little bit more fascinating what happens with AD this summer. But besides that, the two best free agents on the market are DeMar DeRozan and Andre Drummond. We had a little bit of a, it was seen to be a spicy uh, <laughs> restricted free agency class uh, brewing, you know, potentially Pascal Siakam, you know, Buddy Heel talking about how he wanted out. Because he wanted 110 million, and, and he was insulted by the 90 million dollar offer that 
Yeah, that was a that was a yeah, I said, a lot a lot of our a lot of our show last week did not age well. Between Healed and Zion. Yeah. I said Heald wasn't gonna be on the team. Sabonis, <laughs> I thought I said we we thought he might get traded. Demontis Bonus talking about how he wanted to get traded and Jalen Brown was far away from talks with Boston and they were only offering him eighty million. All that was major cap because <laughs> those guys all signed for I mean Buddy Heald signed for essentially I mean, very much like a middle ground. Like, I mean, look, they offered. He was insulted by ninety million. They offered him ninety, only ninety four guaranteed. So, great wasn't that insulted. There was some incentives in there that could get him to one hundred six. It was almost the one ten that he was asking for. So, all the you know, I they I gave me out of here. It was, <laughs> it was all profit circumstance. It was all for show. Uh, it was all work. Same thing with Sabonis. Pretend like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, I had to be here in, in Indiana. You know, like, you guys, it was all it was all work. I'm never going to, I'm never going to fall for that stuff again. When it comes to refusing free agency contract extension, it doesn't make sense. Like, it, these guys are restricted free agents. They have no leverage. Unless they're going to sign a qualifying offer, which they're not going to do. If... The, if the Kings or the Pacers or the Celtics went to these guys and said, no, we're not giving you a dime this season, what are they going to do? Tank? Are they going to, like, stop playing? Saying, I don't want to play for you guys? Because they're in a contract year. Like, they have to play great. So, yeah. It's, it, was, it was dumb. But now, at this point, 2020 free agency is looking really lame. So, if you're a team that lost out last summer hoping that, you know, alright, we got some cap space this year. Hopefully, we can use it on a stud. That stud's either going to be DeMar DeRozan or Andre Drummond, who I think are underrated pieces. I've heard some people say, you know, what value can those guys bring to a team? But I think if you're a bad team that's trying to be competitive and you have a hole at the two or the five or even the three, like a team, for example, like if we mentioned like the Hornets, if they are like not that good and they draft Cole Anthony, with the second pick in the draft, and then they sign Andre Drummond, they then get closer to, to being competitive. You know, like mm-hmm. so. I, I but yeah, twenty twenty three agency is gonna be lame. All right, Kendall, let's wrap it up here. Who's uh, uh, uh what's Kendall's court? Yeah, so Kendall's court this week is uh, we're talking about the college, the the NCAA, which we talk a lot about. Uh, a lot of always oh, they're in the news, but. We're talking specifically about the transfer rules in college sports, uh, particularly basketball and football, obviously. So, you know, the transfer rules, much were made about them. Um, there seem to have been some modifications. Uh, seems like it's become easier for guys to transfer and get eligible right away. We saw in Georgia, at Georgia last year, or at Ohio State, I should say, Justin Fields transfer in from Georgia. Basically, the only reason he transferred was I mean there was some there was some stuff about you know racist fans may have said some stuff at games so you know unsafe environment something along those lines but then there was also um essentially he didn't get a chance like Jake Fromm was the guy and he realized he wasn't going to get the same chance that he thought he was going to get coming in but um he transferred to Ohio State and was eligible immediately would not have happened five years ago mm-hmm. no way but uh, then we've seen that precedent being set more in football, and now in basketball, that has clearly continued to travel 
because we saw this week, uh, by the way, there's about 30 or 40 eligibility cases still that are pending and the season starts next week, which not a good job by the NCAA. But regardless, um, we saw two high-profile transfers along with others, but particularly two, uh, Quentin Grimes, who's at Houston now, transferred in from Kansas, and Isaiah Washington, a.k.a. Jelly Fam, uh, Jelly Fam Isaiah, uh, transferring in from Minnesota to Iona, going back home to New York, where he's obviously a, a cult hero. Um, those two guys were, uh, they got waivers to play immediately. Um, neither one of them, from what I understand, had any uh, sick family member. Uh, neither one of them, both, you know, Neither one of them are seniors. Neither one of them are redshirted. Um, this isn't a grad. Neither one of them have graduated. Uh, the only the basis for which Quentin Grimes got his waiver was essentially that he entered the draft, and then when he he took his name out of the draft, Kansas didn't have a scholarship left. Mm. So essentially, he didn't have a spot there. That seems a little bit like a stretch. You know, Quentin Grimes, I mean, yes, did Kansas more or less run him off? Did they tell him to kick rocks? Maybe. I don't think that's what they did, but did he not want to be there anymore? Sure, and he told them that, and they filled his scholarship. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that he should then get a scholarship or that he should then be eligible right away. Not in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no problem with this, by the way, because, I mean, I'm a college basketball fan, so seeing Quentin Grimes and Isaiah Washington playing as opposed to sitting on the bench— it's good. Um, Isaiah Washington, I don't know what his thing was, but, you know, I mean, look, he went back home. Maybe he does have a sick family member. It's possible, but, um, like, another guy. Going to be eligible right away just because the fit wasn't right at, at Minnesota. Same thing with Kansas. You know, Quentin Grimes, the fit wasn't right at Kansas, so he transferred. He's going to be eligible at Houston. Point being, the NCAA has to be real with themselves. Like, if this is how it's going to be, which I don't have a problem with. I think if guys really want to transfer and we want to make it full free agency, that's fine. But we can't have it be this ticky-tack. We're going to make keep, keep guys in limbo for months. And then, like, we'll, like, punish only, like, 20% of them and let, like, 80% of the guys play. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, either be strict, you know, like, Unless there's a real, real reason that isn't just, you know, my coach doesn't like me at that other school, then guys should be able to, then, then, like, then guys shouldn't be just getting waivers. Or give them all waivers. Let everybody play. There should then no penalty for transferring. <laughs> but this ticky-tack thing is just so hard to follow, and it's becoming dangerous. It's becoming a dangerous precedent for NCAA because eventually guys are going to be smart. Like they already have gotten smart. That, like, you can almost always get a waiver. Yeah. There's, always, there's almost always going to be. Memphis, we had a kid transfer this season to South Dakota State, and he just got a waiver. He was essentially – I'm glad for the kid because he essentially was – I don't want to say he was cut, but he was essentially, you know, because we were bringing in all these recruits, he was, again, also run off. Uh, to a lower level of college basketball, but um, he got a waiver, and it's like, if if we're gonna keep doing this, I'm happy for these guys, but like, we gotta. We, there's no point in wasting the time with this whole appeals process.
Yeah, I mean, in terms of Isaiah Washington's situation, apparently he has a, a alien grandmother, and that's why he was granted his waiver. He wanted to be closer to Harlem, which is where he's from. Um, apparently he receives counseling during his sophomore year uh, because of the family situation and his production uh, and his playing time, obviously, also dipping as well. Um, I do, I do hear you that there is, uh, definitely a, a degree of ticky tackness with how they're giving away waivers now. I mean, I remember at a time when just, if you transferred, you had no chance getting a waiver. You, you were sitting out for a year and the rules are drastically changed. Uh, to me, this is just all of the NCAA trying to catch up, uh, to the fact that eventually they will be extinct. So they're doing everything they can. They're giving away every little carrot that they can without giving away the whole pie. So, okay, we ain't going to pay y'all, but right, we'll let y'all transfer. We can't do this, but I right, will let you do that. So, like, they're, they're just trying to give what they feel like they can give away without it really completely shaking the core of the sham of amateur athletics in the NCAA. So I think they're becoming very liberal with how they give away the, the, the transfer waiver because I think that every time – they don't give one away. It's going to be just another story of Jay Billis or one of the, the highly critical people against the NCAA pointing and saying, see, look what the NCAA is doing. This kid, you know, can't get a waiver, even though this coach can, you know, is going to leave next year once as soon as he gets, you know, a, a, a five or ten million dollar offer. It always is going to look terrible because the whole system is corrupt and they're trying to put uh, Band-Aids on a gashing wound by doing this nonsense that's just only further illuminating the sham that's being taking place that's taking place in the first place. I don't think it's fooling anyone that, oh, because they're letting Isaiah Washington and Grimes uh play this year, that oh well now we don't care about the fact that these players are being exploited. No, we all still understand that's happening. We're happy that these kids are able to have some kind of freedom and some kind of agency to at least when things aren't going well for that situation, change teams now, but it doesn't hide the fact that this whole situation is still uh, a corrupt mess to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good start, like you said, but it's almost like too, it's almost like too, too little too late. Exactly. Yeah. The cart is out of the barn and it's already down, rolling down the hill. It's over for the NCAA, and they know it. And this is their, uh, this is their way of trying to 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 maybe get the cart back in. But I think that that day is 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 far far gone. But I think that's a good place to wrap the show this week. So hope you guys enjoyed this special NBA Premier Week edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I know you guys are probably waiting for this one. So I hope that this one was uh, enjoyable for you guys to listen to. Of course, you can catch all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, check us out on uh, YouTube, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media at uh, New Generation Pod on Twitter, New Generation Podcast on Instagram, and on Facebook, New Generation Media. Follow me on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram that, at Action EJ. Thank you guys so much for listening in. I had a blast doing this show. Uh, for Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy. Peace.